I'm going to continue this morning uh, talking about 2016, attended Trinity Fellowship. Uh, Chuck Pierce was there, and he shared several different things. I'd like to just take a moment and remind you last week that I talked to you about staking your claim as a Christian and enforcing the cross in your life. When Jesus was nailed to the cross and he was raised up and that cross was dropped in that hole so it would stand up, it's as if in the spirit realm, God took a hold of that cross and took a giant hammer from heaven and he nailed that cross into the ground and he staked his claim and his claim was for you and I. And what God was telling the devil is you might have won in the garden the first time, but the second time you haven't won, you've lost. And those people belong to me now. Now you receive Christ as your Savior, and you enforce the cross in your life. Now, what does that mean? Well, it says in Ephesians that we've been saved by grace. When I was growing up in church, I was taught Jesus died on the cross for me, and that if you will receive his sacrifice, you can be saved. You can become a Christian. I did that as a 12-year-old boy, and what that meant to me was when you die, Rusty, then you're going to go to heaven, and you can be with God for eternity, and I believed that, and I still believe it, but there's so much more to it. The word saved is the original Greek word sozo. Here's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Listen to it. Uh, the list says here that you were rescued, you were healed, you were delivered, you were preserved, you were made well, and you were prospered. It's all inclusive. See, when you receive Christ as your Savior and you're saved, it's supposed to affect your spirit, it's supposed to affect your soul, which is your mind, and it's supposed to affect your body. Now, here's the thing. I've received all that from God. It's been given to me. Now, I'm responsible to enforce it. I enforce the cross of Jesus Christ. I let the devil know, hey, I'm rescued, I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm preserved, I'm made well, and God wants to prosper me and bless me. And if, if I use last week the military term, I tell the devil, devil, stand down off my life. In other words, I run him off. I'm not afraid to enforce it over my domain. Now, let me talk to you just for a minute about your domain. What's your domain? Well, first, your domain is your family. That's your spouse if you're married. It's your children. It's your grandchildren. It's the physical property of your home. It's your vehicles. It's your job. Uh, it's the community you live in. It's the church you go to. It's the schools that your children attend. If you have a, a let's say you have a child that lives in another city and, the, and your grandchildren attend a school in another city, that's your domain. What do I mean by your domain? In other words, you have a right as a Christian to enforce the rule of the cross. You have a right to speak God's grace and blessing over that school and over your child and over your grandchildren and over their jobs. So you enforce the cross. Here's what we do as Christians. See, we're waiting for God to do something and God's saying, hey, I've given you my authority. I've given you my word. I've given you my name. Now you enforce it in your life. If you remember the story in Genesis in creation, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that he gave them dominion. Okay, the original language there is the phrase fierce rule. Fierce rule. Okay, what does that mean? Well, in the military, when we go fight in battles, we create no-fly zones. What does that mean? That means if the military flies over that zone in their airplane, we're going to shoot you down, okay? I know a young man that grew up in this church, and he was in Iraq, and they would go outside the wire, which meant they went out to battle. And inside that wire was a forcible zone, a dominion, where they enforced their rule, okay? So you enforce your rule. You stake your claim with the cross, 
uh, many years ago when I, Vicky and I lived in Plainview and I was young in the ministry and I had a friend that was in the ministry and another friend of mine and we started in the evenings, we would go rabbit hunting. And uh, I've never hunted a lot, but we would go at night and go rabbit hunting, and we would spotlight rabbits. And so we had a farmer in our church who told us, hey, you can go hunt. It's okay. So, man, we would go out there in an old pickup. We had one of those big million-beam spotlights, you know, and we all had guns, and that sounds dangerous, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and we would go out and put that spotlight out, you know, and you could see a rabbit, and then, you know, man, we would shoot them, and then we'd all dive out of the pickup and chase them, and we're running with loaded guns and shooting at stuff in the dark. And, I mean, it, that gets in your blood. Man, I mean, we were having a big time. You know, we'd go hunt till one or two in the morning, and then we'd go someplace and eat breakfast. And so we started doing this. Well, one night we were out hunting, and as we were shooting these rabbits, they would run under this barbed wire fence. So, man, we just hopped over this fence and kept chasing them and kept shooting them. Well, now it's dark, and all of a sudden I hear this strange noise. And here's what it sounded like whoa! And what it was was the carburetor in the farmer's pickup who was coming across the field at 70 miles an hour with his lights turned off so we wouldn't see him. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this pickup slides up where we are. This guy dives out with a pistol, and he's not pointing it at the rabbits. He's pointing it right at us. And here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to be in the paper. I'm youth pastor, local youth pastor fired. And he was, he was going to call the sheriff. And it's like, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to have to call Vicky. Come get me out of jail. She's going to say, I told you not to go do that nonsense anyway. Right? All right. Now, you know what that man was doing? He was fiercely enforcing his rule over his property. And he didn't know what we were up to. All he saw was this light out in his field, and he heard gunfire, and he didn't know if we were shooting his buildings. He didn't know if we were shooting his livestock. And so he dove in his truck, and he came out to enforce his rule over his domain. Listen to me. Listen to me. The devil is waiting for you to enforce the cross in your life. And if you won't do it, he's not going to get off your property. You have a right to use the name of Jesus. You have a right to say, Father, thank you that I'm rescued, I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm preserved, I'm made well. The next thing I talked about was to move into your identity. What do you mean? Your identity in Christ. Jesus sees you through the blood of Jesus. He sees you righteous. He sees you perfect. Listen, we've all listened to coaches, teachers, parents, bosses. We all have people in our life who've told us things. And some of those things sadly have dogged us and hung on to us. You may have had a teacher say something to you in elementary school, and now 30 years later, it's still hanging on you. And what you want to do is you want to find out who you are in Christ. What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says I'm rescued, I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm preserved, I'm made well, I'm loved, I'm a son, I'm not an orphan, I'm not a slave, I'm deeply loved. God has a plan for my life. That's who I am. And I begin to agree with what God says instead of agreeing with the devil or agreeing with my teacher or agreeing with a coach or agreeing with a boss. God says, and you know what you're doing there again, is you're enforcing the cross in your life. The next thing I said is God wants to bring forward lost opportunities. Listen, everybody in this room has things that they wish could have been different. We've maybe had some lost opportunities. Let me tell you something about God. He is a restorer. God is in the business of restoration. God does not want to hold you down. 
All right, a lot of times we do that to each other, do we not? We want to hold each other down. Have you ever gone to school before and you decide, man, I'm going to start doing my homework. I'm going to start studying. I'm going to really make an effort to, to be a good student. And all your friends are like, oh, come on, you suck up. You Come on, we're not going to do that. You've learned, haven't you, that if you hang out with people going nowhere, you go nowhere with them. You've learned that, right? Okay, so you've got to recognize God does not want to keep you down. God wants to restore you, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to restore lost opportunities. Listen, there's nothing impossible in your life that God can't restore, God can't fix, God can't make right. There's nothing. So you recognize, God, I want to move into these opportunities. God, I'm going to use my fierce rule, okay? I'm going to use my authority. I'm going to use the name of Jesus. Now, let me show you the next thing this morning. The next thing I want you to know that God said is it's going to be a building year or a building season. Listen, don't use your own strength. Now, let me talk to you about building. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, it may be physically building a house or a building, but it's much more than that. Maybe God wants to build your marriage this year. Maybe God wants to build your relationship with him this year. Maybe he wants to build your relationship with your children. Maybe God wants to bring and build peace into your life or hope into your life. Maybe God wants to rebuild your health this year. Maybe God wants to build you at your job and give you more influence and give you a promotion. It's a building year. But here's what God is saying. God is saying, don't try to do it in your own strength. Let me do it. Let me read to you out of Psalms one. 27 verse 1. I love this verse. It says, unless the Lord builds the house or your life, the laborer in vain who builds it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for he gives his beloved sleep. Let me tell you something. God doesn't bless good ideas. He blesses his ideas. See, you know what we do sometimes? Well, we head off in life doing our own thing, and we're trying to figure out what we want to do. Things can become a train wreck. Then we throw our hands in the air and say, God, please help us. Now, listen to me carefully. God will help you. But you can avoid the train wreck if you'll say first, God, would you guide me? God, would you direct me? God, do you want me to take this different job? God, do you want me to move to this different house? God, do you want me to be in a relationship with this person? God doesn't bless good ideas. He blesses his ideas. Let me tell you a story in the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, God promised them they were two old people, and I mean really old. They couldn't have children, and God said, I'm going to give you a baby, and that baby's going to be a promise. Well, they got discouraged, and they got despondent, and they got in a hurry, so they got together, and they said, hey, why don't we hook up with one of your servants, uh, Hagar, and you can hook up with her and have a baby. And so they got together, and they had a baby. Now, that baby was not the promise, and here's what happened. That was the baby of the flesh. That was the baby of their impatience. Here's what happens to us. God says, I want to bless you, but we get impatient, and we're going to do it our own way. So they held up that baby to God, and they said, God, here's the promise. And you know what he said? No, it's not. Listen, God only kisses his own babies. What in the world do you mean, pastor? Again, God doesn't bless good ideas. He blesses his ideas. Listen, if you'll ask God what he wants you to do in your life, it will be blessed. He will take care of it. He will move in your life. So don't move into that place. Oh, I'm going to do it myself. All right, now you may think this morning, well, pastor, I'm not like that. Well, here's a little test to see if you are. I can tell if you're operating pride. You know how I know? All I have to do is look at your prayer life. You see, if you don't have a prayer life, you operate in pride every day. What do you mean? Well, you think you can do it yourself. You're under your own strength and your own power and your own ability. 
I don't need God's help. I don't need to pray, so I do my own thing. All right, that's a simple way to tell. Listen, pray. All prayer is is talking to God. God, would you lead me? God, would you guide me? Would you direct me? What if you asked God this year, God, what do you want to build in my life? God, what do you want to do in my life? What's the verse say? Why do you get up early? Why do you stay up late trying to make it happen? I want to make it happen in your life, and I'll do it if you'll ask me. Listen, God is waiting for you to ask. He's waiting for you to ask. All right, let me show you the next thing. God says that he wants you to move into a supernatural flow of giving. I want to read to you out of 2 Corinthians 9, a supernatural flow of giving. Let me talk to you about giving. A supernatural flow of giving. What does that mean? Listen, it's money. Of course it's money, but it can be time and it can also be talent. Listen, there's three hits that come with money. The first hit's when you make it. Man, it's nice getting a paycheck, isn't it? Man, it always feels good to get that paycheck. The second hit is when you save some of it. Listen, tomorrow's coming, right? You're looking down that tunnel and you see that light? Well, it's a train, and it's coming right at you, right? So you need to save some of it. Then the third is when you give it away, right? When you make it, when you save it, when you give it away. Listen, and you know as well as I do, the less effect money has in your life when you buy stuff. We know it, don't we? I'm going to buy something and it's going to make me happy. I'm going to buy something that's going to give me what I'm looking for. Now, I'm not saying we don't buy things. We all buy things. But the point is, God, I want to be a blessed giver. Listen to it. The phrase is a natural flow of giving. See, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And can I tell you, for years, I never understood that verse. What in the world does that mean? I don't, I don't even like that verse, right? It's, not more, it's more blessed to get than to give. But you know as well as I do. You know what God wants to do in your life? He wants to make you a blessing so you can be a blessing to somebody else. He wants to bring some margin into your life, and he wants you to be a flow of giving. Now, let me read to you, <clears throat> excuse me, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to start with verse 10 out of the NIV. Listen to what it says. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now, stop right there. Now, I want to show you something amazing in this verse. It says, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for our food. And it says, he will increase your store of seed and he will enlarge your harvest. Listen to it. What does it say? It says that he will increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest. Listen, seed can be anything. Seed, of course, I believe money is seed. Time is seed. Your talent is seed. All right, and it says in that verse that whatever you need, God will provide it. Listen, every single week, and, and so many of you volunteer in our ministries. I'm in Power Kids every single week, and we have amazing volunteers in Power Kids. And you know what they're doing? They're giving their time to reach other people's children. It says in Proverbs, as you water others, you'll be watered also, right? It's the principle of seed time and harvest. that's right here in Corinthians. If I'll take some seed and sow it, you know what God will do? He will increase my harvest. Okay, we, 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 we know this, right? If a farmer plants 100 acres worth of wheat and another plants 10,000 acres of wheat, who gets the bigger harvest? The man who planted the 10,000 acres, not the plan who, man who planted the 100 all right, let me give you a statement. Stop asking yourself, how much of my money will I give to God? And start saying, how much of God's money will I keep for myself? 
That's a paradigm shift, isn't it? See that stewardship. Let me read it to you again. How much of my money will I give to God? Stop saying that and start asking how much of God's money will I keep for myself? Now, you know, most Christians don't tithe. I mean, you can read studies on the internet all the time. Most Christians don't tithe, okay? It's usually the last thing people do and the first thing they stop doing. See, what happens to people is they come to church, they get ministered to, they get touched, life life starts being good, God starts ministering to their life, and they'll start giving. But as soon as something doesn't go right, as soon as they hit a bump in the road, as soon as pastor says something they don't like, they stop giving. It's one of the last things they do and one of the first things they stop doing is they stop sowing seed. Listen, you don't want to move into that place where you stop sowing seed because what happens? Well, you stop the harvest in your life and start asking God, God, what do you want me to do with your money? What if? And this is amazing about tithing. What is tithe, Pastor? Well, the word tithe means 10%. You know what God is saying? If you'll give me 10% of what you have, I'll let you keep 90% of it. Now, what if God said, I want 90% of it and I'll let you keep 10 course he's not doing that and you know what else he says he says if you'll give me my part i'll bless the rest for you see it's sowing seed listen giving's not a curse it's a blessing all right now let's say this pastor i don't have any seed to sow this verse says right here he'll give seed to the sower hey god would you help me so i can give but you know what he does he'll give you seed but you know what we do with it right well we eat it we eat it we spend it on ourselves So God is saying, I want to move you this year into a year of supernatural blessing and supernatural giving. Let me talk to you about the next thing. The next thing he encouraged us to do is to pray over your bloodline. Pray over your bloodline. What's your bloodline? Well, your bloodline is your family. Your bloodline is your children, your grandchildren, your children's mates. Some of you have a very large bloodline. Some of you have a small bloodline. But to begin to pray over your bloodline. Now, let me tell you something, and I don't want you to be offended by this. You'll know what I, say, what I mean when I say this. Your bloodline is polluted. Okay, I got some outlaws in my family. Y'all got any? Man, I got some outlaws, man. I mean, you know. I mean, I got some stories in my family you don't want to know about, right? There's stuff happened in my family that I I wouldn't want to be in the newspaper. But it's not what my people have or haven't done. Your bloodline is polluted because of sin. Listen to me, sin. I met with a young man this week who called me, who lives in another community. And he called me and he said, hey, pastor, I'm having some trouble in my marriage. Could we meet and talk? I said, absolutely, we can. So I met him down at the office, and he lives in another community, and we met, and we began to visit, and he's having trouble with his marriage, and I encouraged him, and he said this. He said, you know, I've really been struggling with depression. I've really felt like I wanted to end my own life. And I said, of course, that would be a shame, and I talked to him about that, and he said this. He said, I want to end my own life so I can pay for my sins. Here's what I told him. I said, I got great news. Somebody's already done it somebody's already done it and his name is jesus christ listen my bloodline is polluted but when i said yes to jesus christ i received a new bloodline you see i'm not a part of that old gray bloodline anymore i'm a part of the bloodline of jesus christ now if you've ever been to the doctor and i I believe in going to the doctor i've done it many times went this week if you go to a doctor and they run tests you know what they'll say to you sometimes well i see that your grandmother had cancer and so you have cancer in your bloodline and they're good doctors they're not trying to say anything bad and you know what you need to say when they say that well you see i'm not a part of that bloodline anymore 
You see, I'm in a new bloodline. I'm in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And in that, and, and in that bloodline, uh, let, me, let me go back over here. In that bloodline, oh my gosh, doctor, I'm rescued, I'm healed, I'm delivered, I'm preserved, I'm made well, and I'm prospered. Man, you could have shouted right there. It's okay, I'll get you out of here to eat chicken as fast as I can. Right? You're in a different bloodline because of the blood of Jesus. Listen, and I know you know this. Some of you may not know this. You cannot pay for your own sins. There's no sacrifice acceptable to God for your sin but the blood of Jesus. That's why I just read to you why are you getting up early, why are you staying up late. Listen, I get up early and pray. Do you know why? Because I want to. Listen, if you get up early because you think it impresses God, then you're trying to do something to impress God, and you don't have to do that. Listen, it's called penance, right? Penance is where you suffer. Penance is I need to pay for my sin. Have you seen those people in foreign countries, and they do those holidays, and they take those whips, and they whip themselves, and they're all bloody, and they put nails through their cheeks, and they carry those crosses through the street to suffer? The only problem with that is that's not acceptable to God. The only sacrifice that's acceptable has already been paid and all you have to do is align yourself with it. All you have to do is identify with it and say, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus. And he looks at you and he smiles. Pray for your bloodline. What if you got a piece of paper today, this afternoon, during a commercial and whatever you're doing, and you wrote down a list of your family, whoever that might be. You include your children, your grandchildren, maybe your parents if they're living, maybe a cousin, and I don't know. But what if you put that list down and you folded it up and you put it somewhere where you'd see it? Maybe you put it where your 2016 card is. Mine's on my visor. And sometime during the week you took it down and you prayed for them by name. And you prayed over your bloodline. Pastor, I don't know what to pray over my bloodline. How about praying, Father, I thank you my bloodline's rescued, they're healed, they're delivered, they're preserved, they're made well, they're prospering, they're everyone going to make it to heaven, not one of them's going to hell. And you prayed over your bloodline. And you took fierce rule over your family. And I'm not talking about you bossing them. I'm not talking about that, but you took fierce rule and you enforced the cross. Listen, God's waiting for you to do it, and the devil hopes you won't do it. He wants you to be busy doing something else. Let me show you the last thing this morning. The last thing he said was, and I love this, don't just go to church to go to church. Now, let me explain to you what that means. All right, if you exercise and you walk around the block one time, or you go to the Y and you walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes, you've got the couch potato beat. Amen? Amen? I mean, if you go to the Y and walk on the treadmill for five minutes and get off of it and say, whoa, what a workout. And you get in your car and you go home. Well, you're five minutes ahead of the couch potato. Amen? It doesn't matter how little you do, you're ahead. Now, if you're going to catch up with Malcolm at the Y, you're going to have to get a lot faster than that. Way more than five minutes. But you're ahead of those folks. Listen, I got good news for you. 75% of Christians don't go to church. You are in the top 25%. Come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, give yourself a hand. Come on. Yeah, you're already ahead of the people at home this morning, right? Now, listen, I've got my TV already on at home. It's on, and it's on the channel the game's going to be on. I'm going to walk in and not even have to turn it on, okay? The game comes on at 2 o'clock. The pregame comes on at 1. I know what I'm doing, all right? But I don't stay home to do that and miss worshiping God on Sunday. Are you with me? So you're ahead of the game. You're ahead of that 75% who are doing whatever they're doing. And I'm not picking on them. But listen to me. If you're here, 
Why don't you take the next step? What's the next step, Pastor? Show up wanting something. Show up with your expector turned on. Show up and sing the songs. Show up and get prayer. Show up and give in the offering. Show up and bring your dollar notebook from the dollar store and write down something and take it home this week and look at it and remind yourself of what God said. Don't just come to church to come. Go ahead and take, if you're going to be here, just go ahead and take that next step. Listen, God, I want something. Listen, there's life in this place. There's life in this place. Right? I taught for 13 weeks at the Driscoll House on Wednesday, and I taught the story of uh, Gideon. It's an amazing story. I had one of the men there tell me, I learned more about Gideon than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> now, here's what's sad about that. You see, I was giving out life, but all he got was information. Now, listen, listen, this will change your life. Information is a burden. The Bible says all information does is puff up. We're bombarded with information. But when I'm here teaching the Word of God, God is offering life. So don't just leave here with information. Leave here with life. See, that's the difference. That story of Gideon is filled with life, not just information. The Word of God's filled with information, but it also offers life. Okay, how do I do that, Pastor? All you do is turn on your switch. Turn on your switch. The woman who bumped into Jesus with the issue of blood and the crowds all around her and she touched him and life went into him. She had her expector turned on. Uh, the religious word for that's faith. You show up and you want something. Now, years ago, there was a teaching that went around in church. Years ago, you probably never heard of it, but that if you got prayer, you shouldn't get prayer again because if you didn't believe it, if you didn't, in other words, you have to believe, if you don't, if you get prayer a second time, you didn't believe it worked the first time, so don't get prayer a second time. Listen, that's hogwash. That's hogwash, okay? I went to the doctor this week. I got a rash on my body, and they gave me some cream, and they said, put it on one time, and if you put on any more than that, that means you don't believe it worked the first time. Of course they didn't do that. Penny knows better, don't you? They didn't do that. They handed me that tube of cream, and they said, rub this on two or three times a day till it's all gone. Have you ever gotten an antibiotic before, and they told you to take all of it, and you took half of it, and you put it up because you got tired of taking it, and you got sick again? Or you do like us, you're going to save half of it for later, <laughs> and you're going to self-diagnose yourself, right? So the next time I'm coughing, well, I've got some antibiotic I saved up, man. I'm going to take it so I don't have to go to the doctor, right? You know that's dumb. Don't do that, right? <laughs> right? Right, no, when we go to the doctor, what do we do? We do what they say, and we take it over, and we take it over, and we take it over. Listen, the Word of God is the very same way. Every time you come in this place, man, throw your hands in the air, sing the songs, give in the offering. When they have prayer, come right up here. It's called being a frequent flyer. Now, let me explain to you what that is. One time, Vicki and I were driving in my truck down the street, and two little boys were on the side of the road, and they hit my truck with rocks. They're just being boys, I know, right? So I pulled over and got out. Well, man, they ran to the house. Well, I could see where they went, so I followed them, and I went to the house, and I knocked on the door. And this little girl came to the door, and she said, Mama said for you to go on. Whoa. Kind of scared me. So I said, Tell Mama we're calling the police. And I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble. I just thought, well, if you're not even going to talk to me, you know. So we called the police, and, of course, you know, we're just like y'all. We know the police, and when they got there, they got out. They said this, oh, she's a frequent flyer. What does that mean? That means she encounters the police all the time. Listen, I want you to be a spiritual frequent flyer. 
What does that mean? <clears throat> that means every time you come in this place, you tell God, God, I want something. God, I need something. God, I'm not just here to hang out. And when they open that front for prayer, you come up and God says, oh, man, there's Melvin again. My gosh, every time we open the door, Melvin wants something. I mean, when I walk in the throne room, I want God to say, there's Rusty. That's what the Bible says, by the way, that I'm welcome to come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Now, listen, this will blow your mind. Have you ever thought about that when you pray that you are in the spirit realm, you're literally in the throne room of God, that you're in God's presence? It's what the Bible says. Come boldly to the throne of grace. So when you're in your house and you're in your easy chair and you say, God, I need something, you're instantly in the throne of grace, instantly before him, and he's receiving it in heaven. Don't you want to go there enough that he knows you? Right? That's called being a frequent flyer. God, I want what you have. God, I'm not just going to show up anymore. Now, listen, one last thing. God knows where you are, and he has restoration for you. Listen, what God redeems bears fruit. What does the word redeem mean? It means to buy back. When I said yes to Jesus, the Bible says I was transferred from darkness into light. I changed kingdoms. And it says that the kingdom of darkness has no dominion over me. Well, pastor, it sure doesn't look like it. You know why? You won't enforce the cross. You won't stand your ground and say, get off of me. You have no dominion over me. That's what redeem means. Listen, where God redeems, it bears fruit. What do you mean? Listen, when you said yes to Jesus, God wants your marriage to be fruitful. Now, I don't mean with children and grandchildren. I mean with hope and with peace and with joy and with laughter. Okay, God wants, to bear, wants you to bear fruit. He wants us to be fruitful Christians. He wants your bank account to bear fruit. He wants your job to bear fruit. He wants your home to bear fruit. When God redeems you, then he goes about making sure that you're fruitful. See, God doesn't want you poisoned. He doesn't want you in bitterness. He doesn't want you in anger. He doesn't want you in resentment. He doesn't want you broke. He doesn't want you hurting. He wants to redeem you. He wants to cause you to bear fruit. How does that happen, Pastor? By talking to him, by spending some time reading his book, and by being in church. And it'll change you. And then your life will be fruitful. You'll be blessed. You'll have peace. You'll have joy. You'll have hope. Are you going to have storms? Oh, absolutely. But in the midst of that, I'm going to have hope because I'm standing on the rock. Amen? And the devil can't blow me off of it. And when the winds get hard, I just reach out and grab a hold of that cross that's driven into the ground, that's solid as a rock, where I got rescued, where I got healed, where I got delivered, where I found hope, where I found rescue. And I say, devil, you're going to have to stand down, son. You're going to have to get your hands off my kids, your hands off my grandchildren, your hands off my job, your hands off my future. Because I know who I am. That'll change 2016, amen? All right, y'all stand up. Let's pray. <clears throat> Praise God. Father, we love you. I'm so thankful for this group of people. I'm so thankful for my local church. I'm so thankful that I'm a part of a body, a body of Christ. Father, I love these folks, and I know they love me, and I'm so thankful for it. Lord, I thank you as we look into 2016 that you strengthen us, you encourage us, you help us, you give us hope. Lord, that you're at work in our lives, redeeming us, delivering us. And I'm so thankful 
Father, strengthen us today. Rescue us today. Give us hope today that your hand is on our families and on our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I love you. Y'all go and be blessed and have a great weekend.